Thanks for joining the Capital Church podcast channel. For more resources and to learn more about Capital Church, please visit our website at capitalchurch.co or send us an email at info capitalchurch.co. Hey church, it's Tracy Wild Pace here, and I'm so excited uh, to be with you this Sunday. What an amazing online experience as we've been having together, as we've been um, just joining, even though it might be virtually, we get to join together every single week, and I love that about Capital Church and our community. So welcome to church, and I hope today's message will bring you just that hope. I'm believing that that's the story of Jesus and the gospel story in the midst of what feels like a pretty messed up world, <laughs> a pretty um, crazy world right now, I think that the thing we need more than anything is the hope that we have in Jesus. And so I hope today that this message uh, does, it infuses, infuses all of us with some hope, but also some action in some practical ways that we really can reach the world that desperately needs Jesus. So. I was thinking about this and just the human condition and how maybe many of us are responding to what's going on in the world. And isn't it funny, I think a natural response for maybe something you're reading on social media or something you see on the news or something that frustrates you or something that's irritating is one of the first things that we do is lash out. Have you ever done this? Have you ever lashed out? Um, to the injustices of the world, maybe the pandemic that's going on, maybe you've experienced it physically in your body. And it seems like our first response is to blame someone. At least maybe you're a better Christian than I am. But I instantly want to blame someone for what's going on. That's, that's the natural human reaction to controversy, to pain, and I think certainly to the pandemic that we're dealing with and, the, in, and even the injustices that we're, that we're seeing across our world. Think about this. If you almost run through a, right, uh, through a red light, what do you do? You blame your kids for distracting you in the back seat, right? What do you do when you get a parking ticket? You blame your spouse for spending too much time in the store and now you have to pay for the parking ticket. What about when you are walking through your house and you step on a Lego and man, have you ever stepped on a toy? It is, how is it so painful? And you instantly go and blame your kids for leaving their toys all around. Or uh, more seriously, if someone dies, we instantly and almost automatically blame the doctor who could not save the person that we love. It is a blaming culture. It is a fault-finding culture. We want someone to answer the problems and the difficulties and the controversies of our world. Deep down inside, we know there's no one at fault. If you think about it, right? Your kids, okay, maybe they need to clean up their toys. But was it really your kid distracting you that caused you to run a red light? No, we know it's not anyone's fault but it feels so terrible what's going on in our world that we need and we want someone to blame. So we lash out, we automatically respond. What is the new mantra of our days? The best defense is the greatest offense. So if you have the best defense right now online, social media, in an argument, a conversation, you have the best offense. This has become, sadly, I think the Christian response, even to what's going on in our world. We now want to blame someone for the injustices, and there are. There are uh, terrible injustices that we're seeing happening all across our world and within the United States. There's a pandemic that is hurting people. It is, it's causing pain and, and difficulties in people's bodies, in their jobs, in their home, um, in their families and relationships. And there's gotta be, it's gotta be someone's fault. So someone's gotta pay, right? Isn't that how we feel? 
But the problem is Jesus shows us, Jesus himself through the gospel story shows us a different way to see how we respond to the controversies, to the pain, and even to a pandemic. In John's gospel, in John chapter nine, there's this amazing story about Jesus. It says in verse, in verse one of chapter nine, he says, as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? In other words, whose fault is it? Who's to blame for the blind man? For the reason, who sinned? Who's the one that's at fault for his, for his, for his ailment and for his sickness and for his blindness? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day, night is coming, and when no one can work, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having these things, having said these things, he spit on the ground. How cool is Jesus, right? I just love it. He's gonna do a miracle and he's gonna do it in the craziest way. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with his saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, go wash in the pool of Shalom, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Notice in this text, immediately, even those that were close to Jesus, his disciples, wanna find someone to blame. We often, it is the human condition and it is our knee-jerk response to go, when something's wrong, someone did something to make it happen. Jesus flips the script and he says, not that we need to find the answer why, but instead Jesus is gonna show us how and what we need to do to move forward into the kingdom of God. Jesus doesn't even answer. He says, it's not, they didn't sense, stop. What I'm gonna do is it's gonna show and I'm gonna showcase through this miracle the power and the light that we have in Jesus. N.T. Wright says this recently, he just recently wrote a book and he said this, Jesus doesn't look back at the, at the hypothetical cause that we see here in John's gospel. He looks forward to see what God is going to do about it. Jesus isn't gonna spend time looking back at the why and go through all the cause and effect and what is, what's transpired and all the problems and the powers that be that have made the problems and who's, what presidency caused this and what presidency will help or, or, or ruin this. God doesn't play that game. Instead, Jesus looks forward to what is going to be done and what he's gonna do through his kingdom. See, in order for us to have the right perspective about everything that's going on in our world right now, and man, if you, anywhere you turn, doesn't it feel like you have to get a right perspective about everything? You can't even open, or open your phone and turn on Instagram, Facebook, or anything, or turn on the news without your mind swirling with controversy and questions and frustrations and deep pain. And yet Jesus says, and God gives us this, this bigger picture. He says, in order to have the right perspective of what hap what's happening in our world right now, and there are bad things happening and their evil does exist. There are things and injustices that, that must be remedied and fixed. But the right perspective is to start with Jesus. Not to start with the problem. Not to start with uh, whatever we think our remedy is or, or what political party we believe that is better to suit or to fix or to handle this mess that we find ourselves in, but to start with Jesus. That's the right perspective. See, and Pastor Chris says this all the time, if we start with Jesus, we're gonna get to the right conclusion because he's the gospel story. It's in Jesus that we will find the answer and the fulfillment and all we need. 
But if we look around the world and if we see all the evils that are going on in the world around us and we jump to conclusions about God immediately like, uh, well, you know, I see this happening in the world and this, this problem going on and I jump to a con conclusion about what God is or isn't doing, I'm always going to get to the wrong answer. But when I start with Jesus in the gospel story, when I understand the, the power of his death, his burial, and his resurrection, and that Jesus is absolutely involved in the story right now, then I can finally one day, maybe not know the whole story, maybe not ever even understand the whole picture, but I will be able to get to the right conclusion. And T. Wright goes on to say, and if you haven't picked up, man, uh, uh, many of us, and particularly Pastor Chris, we love N.T. Wright and his thinking, his, his ability to help shape many of our ideas and understanding of what and who Jesus is. He says this, he says, trying to jump from an earthquake to a tsunami, to a pandemic or anything else to a conclusion about what God is saying here without going through the gospel story is to make the basic theological mistake of trying to do something about God while going behind Jesus's back. I mean, that... When I read that, I was like, oh shoot. How many times have I jumped to a conclusion about what God is or isn't doing in our world? When I do that, I'm completely negating what Jesus has come to do in this. And I'm like, it's like, Jesus, I don't have time for you. I don't have time. I know you've done all, I don't have time for this. I just need to find out what's going on. When we do that, we are going behind Jesus's back and the power of the gospel story we are called to be gospel people. We're called, we're Jesus people. That's the biggest mantra of Capital Church. We are Jesus for the people. I'm sitting in the lobby right now looking at the JFTP sign in our lobby. This is who we are. We're Jesus people. If we're Jesus people, we need to know Jesus in the gospel story. So what does Jesus and the gospel story tell us about our world, this pandemic and the evil injustices that are going on in our world? What does Jesus tell us to do? How does Jesus tell us to live? He tells us to give. <laughs> Jesus is, take, makes it real simple. He says, you give. You give your life. You give who you are. You give love. Remembering Mark's gospel, when James and John, the disciples, do you remember this story? If they, they ask Jesus, they go, Jesus, will you do something for us? Um, can we be the ones that sit on your right and your left? Do you remember this story in, 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 in Mark chapter 10? Essentially, they're asking Jesus to be in a position of power and authority. They knew sitting at the right hand of Jesus and the left hand of Jesus was as if to be in some powerful position to have authority. Jesus responds in Mark chapter 10 by saying, and Jesus called them to him and he said to them, after James and, and John asked, God this, or asked Jesus this question, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whomever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. In other words, the world's rulers will exercise power in all sorts of ways, by bossing us around, by, by bullying us into and manipulating us into their, their plan or their ideas. But Jesus says, we're gonna do it another way. As the people of God, as, as the church, as a Christian response, we're gonna do it a different way. We're not gonna bully people on social media. We're not gonna accuse people of this or that. We're not gonna 
spat names at one another or, or desire to be more powerful or right and make the other person wrong. No, Jesus says, we're gonna do it another way. The greatest will be a servant and the greatest will give. Man, that is very opposite of what we think power and authority looks like. We think in order to be the most powerful, right now you gotta be the loudest voice, you have to have the most content, you have to be able to have the best argument, you have to um, lord it over people, manipulate people, get people to believe what you believe. And Jesus says, no, that's not really how it works. The way we be like Jesus, the way that we are a part of the gospel story doing what Jesus has called us to do is we give and we're servants. God has always wanted, think about this, this blows my mind when I think about this. Do you know God has always wanted us to be a part of his story and about what he does in the world? It's partly why he created us in his image. He created us in his image so that human beings can can be a part of what he's doing in the world, that we could be the response, that we can be the hands and feet of Jesus, that we could be like what Jesus has come to do. We could be servants, that we could love people, we could give. It's the self-giving love that Jesus taught us all through the New Testament. God wants us to be the response to what is wrong in this world by giving, by loving and by serving. See, early Christians, I I know this to be true, I would have been a terrible first century Christian. I I, I don't think I could have been a good first century Christian because they were real Christians. And no offense to all of us, but I'm pretty sure we, after after reading some of these statistics and me telling you some things about the early Christians, I think y'all would agree. But it was in the first century, about in 165 during the reign of Marcus Aurelius, that there was a great pandemic. Uh, of their day in the Roman Empire. In fact, this pandemic lasted 15 years. And they say from probably a quarter to a third of the empire died under this pandemic. They don't even know exactly what was caused, uh, what the ailment exactly even was, because it was such a, it was a ravenous um, pandemic in there in the Roman Empire. So Marcus Aurelius himself died of this this epidemic of uh, the first century. Then uh, less than 100 years later in 251, there was another, a new and just as devastating pandemic that came and hit the Roman Empire. This time, instead of affecting the cities of uh, Rome, it now affected the rural areas, even worse than the the cities had been affected. At its height, at the the height of this pandemic, 5,000 people a day were dying. And, um, and losing their life in Rome during this time. The disease was so contagious, and we know what this feels like, don't we, with the coronavirus and what we're dealing with today. It was so contagious that the people in Rome and in the rural cities were afraid to visit their family members, their friends, anyone. They, were, they isolated, they stayed home. They wouldn't visit anyone. It was the early Christians and only the early Christians who were the ones who heroically helped the sick, many of whom lost their own lives by caring for other people, those that were dying. Tertullian, who is one of our early church fathers, claimed this about these early Christians. He says, it is our care for the helpless, our practice of loving kindness that brands us in the eyes of many of our opponents. Only look, they say, look how they love one another. This was the mark of the early church. Church historians today will even claim and say that if it wasn't for the catastrophes and this epidemic and the, the amount of people who were dying during the Roman Empire and the Christians who responded to it and how the Christians respond to it, if it wasn't for this catastrophe, if it wasn't for this deadly pandemic, 
Christianity might never have become the dominant faith it is today. Why? Because churches and or the early church and Christians responded like Jesus and the early in the in in the gospel story and the in the way that Jesus has taught us. See, these Christians believed, and this is why I think, my gosh, I don't know if I'm man, it, I, I, I hope I'm a good Christian, but when I think about the early Christians, I wonder if I would be so bold and heroic and courageous to do anything God called me to do in the midst of a world he loves so much. See, these early Christians believed this wholeheartedly. It wasn't even a question to them that it was their duty. I'm gonna sit there for a second. They believed it was their duty to care for others because of what Jesus had done for them. They believed so much in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and the power of that resurrection life that it gave them that they knew their life was meant to love, to give, and to serve people. But here's the question, and this is the one we struggle with. Why doesn't God just fix it? God, why don't you just come in and fix the problems, fix the pandemic. Why wouldn't God back in the first century come and eliminate 15 years of a pandemic? I mean, we're struggling in, we're we're six months or so into a devastating coronavirus and COVID-19 in our nation. And it feels like it's never gonna end. We feel like we've been in it forever. Why doesn't God just fix the world's problems? Why doesn't God just come and smite those that participate in human trafficking across this world? Why doesn't God just eliminate racism in our world? Why doesn't God fix the world's problems? Well, N.T. Wright says, so often when people look out at the world and its disasters, they wonder, why doesn't God just march in and take over? Why does he permit it? Why doesn't he send a thunderbolt and put things right? The answer is God does send thunderbolts called human ones. He sends in the poor in spirit, the meek, the mourners, the peacemakers, the hungry for justice people. They are the way God wants to act in the world. They are more effective than any lightning flashes or actual thunderbolts. These people, prayerful, humble, faithful, will be the answer not to the question why, and I know we want that answer, but to the question what. What what needs to be done in our world? So what do we do? Pastor Paul, who is one of my favorites, if you've heard me preach at all, you know I love Pastor Paul. After meeting Jesus in heaven, Paul is the next one in line that I'd love to meet. He's Pastor Paul's writings have, have shaped my life, have shaped me as a pastor and, and as, a, as a follower of Jesus because I see what happened in Paul's life and how he dedicated the rest of his life to the mission of Jesus. To me, it's one of the most, um, the most heroic, I think, people in the Bible. We see him going from being a terrorist to the being a, a one that preaches the gospel. He says this in Romans 8, and we love Romans 8 as Christians, right? We've probably memorized it, quoted it, recited it, especially Romans 8, 28. But before we get to Romans 8, 28, in, in verse 18, Paul gives us this picture of a, of a, of a creation of a world that God loves, but is, but is hurting. It's a hurting world. And we know that we're living in a broken, hurting world. He says this, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Pause right there. 
This is something that has to be abundantly clear and we don't have time to talk about it today, but Paul makes it clear, Jesus makes it clear in John's gospel, even when he says there will be trouble to take heart, I've overcome. Paul here says there will be suffering. There's no question that in this world we, 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 we will suffer. But what do we have compared to, the, to what we suffer now? There is a, there's, a, there's a beauty and a glory. It cannot compare to what is to come. He goes on and says, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, but not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth right now. The creation is groaning. Do you feel that? I mean, I think we can sense it. Even here in Idaho, we had earthquakes in the, in the, and they say Idaho hasn't stopped shaking since the earthquake in, in the end of March. There is a groaning of our creation. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoptions as sons. The redemption of our bodies for in the hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees. Then he goes on and says, likewise, the spirit helps us in our weaknesses for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the spirit because the spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, and here's our favorite verse, and are called according to his purpose, or sorry, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image. Remember, we're image bearers. He always made us to be in the image of God, to be image bearers or in the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. See, I think we have concluded in our own life, in our thought, that God needs to come and answer the why before we participate in the what. And I think God has come in a pretty dramatic way to our world in, in using lots of different, not that he causes the things that are going on, but he certainly can use the difficulties and the controversies and the pandemic and everything going on in our world to remind us that as a people of God, while our creation is groaning, we have a response and we are asked as men and women created in the image of God to then go forth and to care for our world. How do we do it? Well, Romans 8 tells us before our favorite scripture in Romans 8, 28, it tells us that we are going to groan, we are going to pray, and we are gonna intercede in the spirit. What do we need to do? We need to pray. And I know for many people that has not been the answer that they've been wanting. They want a much more deep theological, like less practical solution. They want an answer to what's gonna happen in November. They want an answer to what's gonna happen in five years. They want an answer to know about their safety and security and comfort. And I think as creation is groaning, God is asking us through his son, Jesus, and through what Jesus has done for us, he's asking us to let the spirit of Jesus through prayer show us what we ought to do. N.T. Wright also said this in his latest book. He says, the followers of Jesus are called to be people of prayer, 
at the place where the world is in pain. I think our world is in pain. You might be listening wherever you're listening from. You might be in pain. There might be pain in your body, in your home, in your finances. Maybe there's cares and concerns and worries that are feeling so heavy for you. I don't know about you, but with what's going on in our world, I've experienced so much compassion fatigue. I don't, I don't even know what to do. I, I feel overwhelmed. I don't know how to act. I don't know where, where to start. I don't know where to begin. But I know this, I know that the starting point for us as believers is not to ask God why, it's to ask God or to be the answer to God or for God's plan for what. What does God want us to do? He wants us to pray. He wants us to pray about the pain of our world and the problems of our world. And prayer will lead us to be the image bearers that God has always created us to be. Through prayer and through these, this intercession that we're doing with the Holy Spirit, guess what will happen? He will lead you into action. All of a sudden, God might speak to you as you pray that you are called to run for a political public office. Maybe you're called to be a public servant in this world. Maybe as you pray, God will lead you and ask you to care for the sick, maybe even at the expense of your own health. Maybe as we pray and we get the heart of God, we will, God will ask us to do something and give something up of our lives and be servants of all instead of asking people to serve us. See, it's time, I think, for the church to be who the church is always called to be. That's people just like Jesus. We're called to give, we're called to love, called to serve the world that God loves. Isn't that crazy when you think about it? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Sometimes I think, why, why, why would God do anything for this world? Because he loves it. He loves the world as wicked as it seems, as empty as it feels, as dark as it may appear. God so loved it and still loves the world that he sent his very best into the world to rescue and to save it. We are called to be God's thunderbolts, as N.T. Wright says, <laughs> And we're mightier than a thunderbolt that we think that will flash and light things on fire. The most powerful tool in the world are the people of God. We are the thunderbolts of God. We are the hands and feet of Jesus. Creation is groaning, church. And what will our response be? Will it be to blame the powers that be? Will it be to ask God why? Or will we be the image bearers that God created us to be in this world and we will act in what God asks us to do? We are the story and a part of the gospel story of Jesus. This is our hope. Goes on. This is where I'm gonna conclude. In Romans 8, when you finish the chapter, it says this. This is the hope we have as we participate in the gospel story, as we live like Jesus, as we make Jesus the starting point and not the problems of this world. We go on in Romans 8 and it says, what then shall we say to these? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for, all, for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution 
or famine or nakedness or danger or sword. As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Church, God loves this world. And he has called us to be the men and women who are called into the, even the dark places, the difficult places, the places of injustice, the places that are cloudy and we don't understand, maybe to broken and hurting and sick people. God has called us to be, just as he's created us to be in his image, to be the carriers of what he wants to do in and through our world. We are Jesus' people and we will be a church that responds not to the why, but to the what that God's asking us to do in our world. Church, would you pray with me today as we believe that God's gonna do something in and through our lives and through this amazing church. I believe Capital Church is gonna be a church marked by this kind of uh, movement and action towards helping those that are broken and hurting. Lord, we thank you today. God, we believe that you love this world. This is your good, good earth that you created. Lord, it might feel tainted and wicked and evil right now and unexplainable wickedness and discouragement might even be filling our hearts today. But God, I know that you are an overcomer and you are victorious. You have already overcome the world, the Bible says. Lord, because of the achievements of Jesus, Lord, we can stand victorious today. And because of the achievements of Jesus, we can also be agents of what you wanna do in this world. So God, I pray that we would become more and more prayer people. Lord, take us in our prayer closets. Lord, in the night watches. Lord, in the early mornings, in the noontime. Take us to a place of prayer. Lord, that we would begin to see what you want to be done in this world. Show us how we can respond. Show us what we can do. Show us how to take action in the world you love so much. God, we know that you have a plan and a purpose for this world. And Lord, we are grateful to be a part of what you are doing in your world that you love. And so Lord, we pray right now, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth, on this, in this world, in your creation, as it already is in heaven. We believe, Jesus, you are accomplishing something really good in our world. We might not see it, we might not feel it, but we know it and we have hope and hope will be patient and it will wait to see the goodness of God in the land of the living. We believe it and we trust you, Jesus, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, church. Hey, I would also like to pray if any of you have never made a decision to follow Jesus, maybe you, you've never even been a part of the Jesus story yet. Can I tell you something? You are the very reason we have church. This is why we do these services every weekend is so that you could know what I even, I read it earlier in, in, I think it was in Mark's gospel. It says, Jesus is the light of the world. You might feel darkness all around you, but can I tell you something? Jesus is the light of the world. Would you pray with me today if you would like to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior? If you wanna join the kingdom and the family of God. I'm just gonna pray this prayer and wherever you are, join with me. Just say, Jesus, I pray you give me a fresh start. I believe you are the one and only true God. 
Thank you for forgiving me of my sins, for rescuing me, and for putting me on your earth to accomplish your will and your plans. I give you my life and I trust you with my future. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, church. If you said that, we say a resounding amen and we wanna say welcome to the kingdom and the family of God. We love you, church. Thank you.